Turn your Bibles tonight to uh, Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Uh, I'm not sure that my voice, I, I don't, I've got something going on with my, my voice that uh, uh, I don't think it's allergies, but uh, I don't think I will fade away. But I, I called the uh, pastor after he asked us if we would come <clears throat> and uh, our schedule happened to, be, uh, happened to be open. So I said, I would, do you have a theme? Do you have a theme for the, for the conference? And he does, which is the verse that we're going to read. Here in Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 20, it says, Yea, so I have strived to preach the gospel not where Christ was named. That, that's the key part. That's going to be the, the thinking that I'm going to try and run aspects of that all the way through the, uh, the messages that we'll have this evening. Or this, the, the messages this evening? Well, uh, the messages this week. Yea, so I have strived to preach not Excellent coffee today. Excellent coffee. Let's try that again. Yea, so I have strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another's man's foundation. We'll come back to that. Turn back in your Bible to Mark chapter 16. Who is Larry and Cheryl Ingalls? Larry and Cheryl Ingalls uh, met on a helicopter in, in a helicopter pad in Vietnam and uh, got to know each other for a short period of time. I was enlisted, I worked in the operating room. I was the guy that passed the instruments to the doctor during surgery. Uh, Cheryl came and was assigned to our unit uh, the last three months that I was in Vietnam. I'm coming out of surgery and the head nurse says, uh, we just had two nurses fly in, go up to the heliport, get their luggage and carry it over to their hooch. I've been carrying her luggage for 72 years now and no, so 52, what, 72, yeah. I should have cut back into caffeine. That's <laughs> anyway, that's how we met. Unsaved, didn't know each other's family, in a completely unusual situation. And, uh, but we got along because she was an officer and I was enlisted. I actually had to call her yes ma'am occasionally. If I still want to get her goat, I will salute her occasionally. But... <clears throat> We, we met during that time, struck up a little bit of a friendship in the three years that, uh, that we were there. She was actually my boss uh, a few times uh, because of being in charge of the, uh, of the operating room. And then we met again, just kind of, I would say on a whim, but I believe that even in the unsaved days, sometimes God has his hand in your life without you ever realizing it or recognizing it until you kind of look back. We met again in Germany. She was out of the service. I had 16 months left after I got out of Vietnam, and I ended up over in Germany. Uh, Ron and I, a, a, a man that he and I had managed to stay for three years all the way through uh, together serving the Lord in Vietnam and then over in Germany. And uh, so we're up there. We happened to be the closest people that they knew when they got off the airplane in Frankfurt, Germany, and they're over there, she and a friend of hers, are traveling Europe just to be able to see Europe before they go home, settle down, go into nursing, and life goes on. On a whim, on a whim, I asked her to marry me, and uh, the clock was ticking. We're getting old. I'm 23, and you're a little bit older than that. You know, well, we, need to, we need to get something going. We told our children, if you ever do what mom and dad did, you were in big trouble. We didn't know each other at all and uh, so needless to say our first few years of marriage were very rough Cheryl got saved uh, before I did we'd been we'd been uh, 
married for about four years. Cheryl got saved the night before she went to the divorce lawyer to start the paperwork. I'd already moved out of the house. Our marriage was a shambles. We never got married to say, if this doesn't work out, we'll just start over with somebody else. That was never our goal, but sometimes that bitterness and that anger just overtakes and there's no common sense to what's going on. Shortly after that, uh, Cheryl gets saved. Shortly after that, she talks me into going as, into a Sword of the Lord conference when Dr. John Rice was preaching down in Dallas, Texas, and uh, talked me into going to that. I wasn't really interested uh, in doing it, but I was trying to please her. And uh, I didn't understand hardly a thing that Dr. Rice preached about. He was so brokenhearted over souls, he cried through most of his messages, and I couldn't understand him. After that, Dr. Tom Malone from Michigan got up. He was the loudest man I'd ever heard in my life. Well, it wasn't so much the volume as the content of the message that was starting, the Lord starting to deal with my heart. That night, I prayed a prayer. What is it that we usually say to people when we're witnessing and talking to them? Have you ever trusted Christ as your Savior? All you have to do is pray this prayer. I don't lead a person in prayer anymore. I will give them some ideas or some thoughts, but because they prayed a prayer, as a Lutheran, uh, as a Lutheran background, uh, we had prayers for everything. We had Christmas prayers, we had birthday prayers, we had wedding prayers, we had nighttime prayers. We, we had prayers for everything. So when uh, the pastor talked to me, he said, oh, Larry, all you need to do is pray this prayer. Okay, I'll pray the prayer. We sometimes hear through our previous minds. If you're talking to a Lutheran, they're going to hear what you're saying through a Lutheran mindset. The same with the Catholic up in Wisconsin. It's mainly all Lutherans and Catholics where we come from. So you have to realize when you're talking to somebody, you need to make it very clear. Simple, but clear. Otherwise, they're just going to take and say, well, I can pray a prayer or whatever. So after praying that prayer, I thought, good, I'm I'm, I'm, on my, I'm on my way to heaven. Everything's good from here. We went, out for, uh, we went out for pizza, I think it was the night after that. Uh, sat down, ordered pizza. Cheryl ordered a nice tea, and I ordered a beer like I always do. And she looked at me, she said, Larry, if you're saved, you shouldn't want to have that. Well, okay. I mean, I've said yes, ma'am, for so many years. That, okay, okay, uh, you're right. I lived on that prayer and a lot of doubt for over three years. When I was in Bible college, I had a, we had a missionary that they brought in, or a, excuse me, an evangelist they brought in to, uh, to preach to all of us. Several of the young people in Bible college started getting saved, and the, the, the administration got kind of concerned, and the pastors got kind of concerned. And so he said, if you can remember a time and a place and a prayer, you're already saved. That's just the devil giving you a hard time. The time was, uh, was about 9.30 at night. The place was the Dallas Civic Auditorium. And, and the prayer is a prayer like you find on the back of any track. And so I, I struggled with that for almost six months after that. But what there wasn't was there was no joy, there was no peace, and there was no change. And at the age of 31, there should have been some change. And so I finally got saved, as, as a Pastor mentioned, uh, we were, Cheryl was attending, I, I dropped out of church at that point, 
uh, Cheryl was attending where uh, uh, Pastor Weiss, Pastor Weiss Sr., I don't know, Grandfather Weiss, uh, was, was preaching, and he, he would preach the message that one Sunday morning. Our oldest daughter, let me back up, our oldest daughter at that time was about six years old. Uh, Heather said, Daddy, we're having a friend day at church tomorrow. Will you be my friend and come to church with me tomorrow? It's sad when you have to have a child, one of your own, ask you and invite you in a situation like that. I went, and halfway through the message, Pastor talked about, you've got no guarantee you'll be back in church that night, tonight. And I wasn't planning, I was going fishing with a friend of mine. By this time, I've been in, in and out of Bible college for a couple years. I've been in and out of church for, uh, for about three years, and I'd heard enough gospel, I'd heard enough truth, that when he said, you have no guarantee you'll be back in church tonight, and I knew what my plans were, it was like the Holy Spirit pierced my heart and said, Larry, this is your last invitation. And I honestly believed if I'd have, if I'd have not gone forward that morning, that something would have happened for God to either get my attention or remove me from this earth. And uh, I, I came forward, dealt with a, uh, dealt with a man. That he gave me the same Bible verses, you know, the, the, the Romans Road. I led people to the Lord, a couple people to the Lord, using the Romans Road. And so when he got to the end of that, he says, uh, okay, let's pray. And it, I prayed, and, and then Brother Randy prayed. And he says, Larry, wow, I got it all settled. I said, Randy, I don't. I said, I've got it all up here. I don't know how to get it down here into my heart and understanding. And so I said, let me pray again. So now this is actually the third time that I've prayed. And my prayer was, Lord, I've tried everything else. I do believe that you are God. I do believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. And I accept that free gift of salvation. Lord, you change me and you make me into what you want to be. You'll never find that on the back of any track, but that was my wave the white hanky, I surrender all. And my life changed after that. Fast forward a few years, we ended up in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Uh, I'm a printer by trade now. Uh, and uh, I got involved in our printing ministry. And uh, Don Sturz, who's out of Wildwood Baptist Church, came and said, Larry, uh, I need a project printed for, uh, for Poland. And uh, the, the project was the Catholic Bible has the answer. And uh, if you have a Douay version, I can show you how to lead somebody to Christ and out of the Catholic Bible. <clears throat> but we printed up those, and I went to Don, and I said, if you ever have another project going into Eastern Europe, if you let me know, I'll raise the money, and we'll print it again. And that's when he invited Cheryl and I to meet with them and uh, ask if we'd consider joining Baptist Couriers for Christ. Baptist Couriers for Christ was started in 1979, uh, back when we had inventive methods of getting literature into Russia and the former Soviet Union. Because if you ever said we were smuggling it, there was always somebody waiting for us at the back said, don't you realize that that's illegal? Well, yes, it's illegal, but they need the word of God. And the Lord said to get it to every creature. And so we have gone forward from that. Uh, 79, we, we started shipping over mailbags. Today, our, 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 our most secure vehicle that we had back then, we could move uh, 20 whole Bibles or 40 New Testaments. Today, we are shipping 40-foot semi-containers 
load of literature into these countries. And since uh, 1999, we've been taking small groups of people over with us, usually about 30, 35 people to go over. We spend two weeks on the mission field with the missionary, like the Polings and the Reddings and the Johnsons, which were already mentioned. And uh, we, we were there to pass out literature and invite them to a preaching meeting at the end of that two weeks that we're there. And from there, that's how you get contacts of people that, who's interested in this area that would be interested in knowing more about the Bible or more about God. And so that's kind of how you start a church over in Russia. And Well, we're not doing it in Russia anymore, but in Eastern Europe. And now we're, we're going to what I call real Europe. I'll go into more detail on that uh, in a little bit, uh, a little bit later. Mark chapter, uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Uh, let me start in verse 14. Uh, Mary Magdalene has already come here in, in Mark chapter 16 and said, I saw the Lord. And uh, so they were doubting and everything. The two men from Emmaus, which we have their story in the, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, they show up uh, in verse 12. And after that, he appeared on, in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told, uh, told it unto the residue. Neither believed they them. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as, as they sat at meat and upbraided them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So I'm going to try, try to tie, go into all the world, the command. That's our, our mandate. That's our command. That's our mission of the church still today. And getting the gospel where, where Christ has not been named. How does that come about? God sees the world, all of it, the people he's created, but he, he doesn't just see them in, in their languages or their culture or their ethnicity or their color. He sees them as either saved or lost. That's why Paul says, I have strived to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named, to, to, to make him known. And that was their, that was their command clear back here in the, in the, end, of, in the end of Mark. Turn back, to, uh, turn back to Romans chapter 15 and verse 20. Chapter, uh, chapter 15 of Romans. And let's jump up to, Paul is at the end of the book of Romans. He's actually getting near the end of his life. He has just a short time, uh, depending upon who you read, uh, whether it be two or three, four years. But he's, he's kind of coming to the end of his ministry and so he's writing to the Romans, and he's kind of recounting what he's been doing for the last few years. And so he, we're just going to kind of pick up in the middle of a, a, a little bit of a, a conversation that he's writing to them. Verse 17, I have therefore, whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought in me to make the Gentiles obedient by the word, by word and Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. When he talks about being, uh, having preached from Jerusalem to Iliacrum, he's talking about from Jerusalem all the way up to what today is Croatia, 1,300 miles away from Jerusalem. He starts out just like all the rest of the disciples, the apostles did, in preaching to the, the Israelites, the preaching to the Jews. 
I don't know whether they misunderstood the command. Uh, before we get this far in, in life, uh, in, in the Bible history, uh, Peter preached to, preached to some Gentiles, which we'll probably look at on Sunday morning. Uh, but pre Peter ends up getting called and, uh, to Cornelius, and he said, well, you know, we're, we need some more information here. And so we have that. We have Philip, who deals with the Ethiopian eunuch. So some... Very few Gentiles have been reached. Most of all the preaching that's going on is going on starting in the synagogues to the Jews. Paul ends up specifically starting out but gets sent to the Gentiles. Turn to back to Romans chapter 1, the beginning of the letter when he first begins to write to them. So the thought that I'm going to try and run is preach the gospel to every creature. Preach the gospel, not where Christ was named. Here in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Okay, Paul, when did that take place? Well, it wasn't back there uh, when he was first struck blind. I, I believe we could tie that in. Turn back to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Paul has gotten saved. He uh, has spent some time in Damascus, and uh, Barnabas finds him, and, and uh, they start doing some work together. And then here in Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, now there, now there were in the church which was at Antioch. Now this Antioch, and the reason I'm going to point it out because we're going to see another Antioch in this passage. This Antioch is in Syria. You would think when the gospel is given to the disciples in Jerusalem, that Jerusalem, First Baptist Church or whatever it was, that missions would start and flourish from there. But it doesn't. It, it, it starts there, but it doesn't really flourish. Matter of fact, God has to send persecution to start scattering the church to get the, the gospel message out to other places other than just the synagogue. But it gets all the way up to Syria, of all places. And this is where we find the most solid Baptist church where missionaries start getting sent out of. And certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, which, uh, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. It's almost like, a, it's almost like a, an afterthought. And Saul. He's not even Paul at this point. Uh, and Saul is there. He's the last one listed, and yet the Lord is going to use him in a great and mighty way. Verse 2. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them, and they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed from Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus, and when they were in Salmas, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to their minister. So where do they start out? They start out where everybody else has started out, just preaching in the synagogues to the Jewish people. Uh, there's a situation that rise, uh, rises here in the, next, uh, the, in the next six, seven verses that we're not going to go into. Drop down to verse 14. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch, Pisidia. Now, this is a completely different, uh, this is a completely different uh, Antioch. The first Antioch 
if you, if, you can picture the, if you can picture the map in my mind, uh, is, is in Syria, which is over here. They're going up to Turkey from here. It, what in the world? You guys are going, that doesn't even make sense. Don't you realize that these are all going to end up being Muslims? I mean, why are you, okay, is there a need there? Well, certainly, but why don't we pick some place that's a little bit more open to the gospel? Is that the way that the Lord directs people? I want you to go where things are open. Things are, people are hungry. People are ready to respond to the gospel. No, occasionally you see situations like that. There's places in the Philippines today where there's almost a revival taking place in some of the islands. There's a, there's a spot up in the northwest side of, of India. Uh, lots of people are getting saved up there right now. There, there's individual pockets around the world where people are, for whatever reason, somewhat open to the gospel. A lot of it is because there has been some Bible preaching in the area. There has been some seed that has been sown. So it's filtered down to the people. But for the most part, pick a country. For the most part, pick a state. For the most part, pick a city here in the United States. Uh, how many times, pastors, have you heard, ah, it's just a hard area. We're from Wisconsin. You're talking about people who live, who enjoy Feb, the month of February where it never gets above, you know, 20 below most of the time. Don't tell me about a hard area. I've traveled a lot and every place is a hard area. There's, there's virtually nobody saying, come and tell me everything that I need to know because I need to get saved. That's just not the case. So they start in Antioch of Syria, go to uh, Antioch in Pisidia, which is up in Turkey, and went into the synagogue and began to preach there. Look over at uh, okay, let me, let me finish up here with verse 16. Then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand said, men of Israel, notice he starts with them, and ye that fear God. Who is this and ye that fear God? Men of Israel are the Jews, and ye that fear God, that's the Gentiles, that have filtered into the synagogue here. Uh, and ye that fear God, give audience. The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when, when they dwelt as strangers in the land. And he goes on and he gives a short history of the Jewish nation. We pick up over here in, uh, let me see, verse 42. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that those, these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And the next day, the next Sabbath day, came almost the whole city to hear the word of God. I have never been any place like that. We've had... When we've held our meetings, the first time we were over with the Reddings, we spent two weeks uh, out on the street passing out literature, inviting people out to the, the uh, evangelistic service that was going to be held at the end of that two weeks. First time we did that, we had over 800 people show up for the meeting, one of the biggest meetings we ever saw. You know how many people lasted a year later? Back in the old days, back then, people would show up out of curiosity. 
Part of it was in the advertisement that we would hand them along with the John Romans that if they came, we would give them a whole Bible in their language. Well, former communist country, they've only been out of communism for about six years at that point. So, oh, hey, why, why don't we go see what these people have to say? Hey, we get a Bible out of the deal. And I, what, what's it going to hurt to have a Bible? Even though the Orthodox Church doesn't ask them to open a Bible, even the Orthodox priest who tells them, you just come to church, I'll tell you what you need to know, doesn't encourage them to uh, bring their Bible to church, even though the Orthodox priest will say, just listen to what I have to say, and you don't need to read the Bible because it's very hard to be understood. Well, yes and no. Is John 3.16 that difficult to understand? No. But if they start reading the Bible, what's going to happen? The Holy Spirit will begin to open up their understanding and they're going to begin to lose control is what takes place. Verse 42, down verse 43, now the congregation was broken up, verse 44, and the next day almost the whole city, verse 45, but when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. The Jews weren't any different at this time and in this part of the country than they were when Jesus was preaching to them out of his own lips. They could only take so much for so long and then we've got to shut this whole thing down because we're in charge. Uh, I don't know who this guy thinks he is. Well, I think I know who he thinks he is. I mean, he's claimed to be the son of God, but we need to stop this. And that's how Paul ends up making almost a, a, a wreck of everything, but the Lord used Paul to scatter the church, and now Paul's going to become part of that church and begin to carry it on to regions beyond by reaching the Gentiles. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, it is necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, speaking to the Jews, but seeing that ye put it far from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. That's how we got in. Thank you, Lord, for sending Paul along to be able to start sowing that seed in the Gentile nations. That that's, it's not just for the Jews. It's not just for the Israelites. It's for all of us, all nations. Verse 47. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were deigned to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the regions. Uh, tomorrow or Friday or sometime, I'll talk about publishing, what all that involves in publishing the scripture. But Paul now turns to the Gentiles. So he's gone from Syria uh, to up to... Uh, up to Turkey, and now he's going to be preaching all over, turn back to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. So when he says, I have, in verse 19, that he's gone from Jerusalem all, all the way up to, Il pronouncing this wrong every single time, Ilirikum, I have preached uh, the gospel 1,300 miles up. He, still, he comes all the way back down. He gets down into uh, Greece. He gets down into Rome and everything. And uh, you look up the, the three maps that show his three journeys. Uh, he does 
He preached in over 28 cities that we have record of. Uh, it's, it's sad that he personally started 14 churches. He spoke three languages. He was picked by God in a special way because he was a, 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 Rome, a citizen of Rome. He spoke three languages and he had a solid enough knowledge of the Old Testament that when he got saved, he was able to open up the New Testament and say, okay, over here it says this. Over here, when it's talking about, the, it's talking about the Lord Jesus that I've been telling you about. So the Lord used his education, his training, his persecution of the church to actually get missions started literally around the world from there. So have I strived to preach the gospel not where Christ was named. I haven't talked to anybody. I don't know. I don't really remember how old this church is. I don't. I did notice you've got a mission wall out here. I didn't count your missionaries. I don't know how many of you have been in church for how long. This is probably not your first missions conference. I'm guessing it's probably an annual event. Oh, it's missions conference time. I look forward to missions conference time. Uh, one of the hardest parts I have about uh, coming to a missions conference, whether it be it's somebody else's church or uh, it's at our church, our missions conference is coming up in three weeks, is I'll be sitting there and I'll tell Cheryl, I'd love to go there. I mean, that looks like an interesting place. We could go over there. I mean, we may be old, but we can still walk around with a smile on our face. We can still hand out a John Romans. We can still invite people to a church. Uh, we, we can still do something like that. Uh, I, I, there's more places in the world to go than I've got time. My, uh, 74, I don't know how many days I've got left, but so much to see, so much to do, so little time left to do it. Lord, keep me healthy so that I may be able to continue on serving you Literally, any place that you will open up a door that we can, we can step into and, and go into. I had that attitude after I really got saved, not just prayed a prayer, really got saved. Uh, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, From Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost. I have what I call a couple of big stick stories in my life where because I was slow to respond, God had to move me along. So when I got serious about missions, I said, Lord, I don't know where you want us, but I'm going to prepare to be a good Sunday school teacher. And that's the main reason I went to Bible college. Most people don't go to Bible college to be a Sunday school teacher, but I knew some of the stories. I knew some of the, some of the, uh, some of the New Testament because of the Lutheran church that I grew up in. But I didn't know a lot of scripture. But I wanted to be used by God. Well, I didn't like getting up in front of people, and to be quite honest, you'd never know it, but I, I'm still kind of that way. I get kind of nervous uh, before I do it, but, okay, Lord, can I at least be a good Sunday school teacher? I'm going to go to Bible college to learn the Bible. It was a good idea, and it did help, but I actually have learned more Bible sitting in church listening to my pastors preach over the years than I did in Bible college, but that was... That was my first step. Okay, Lord, I want to get ready to be able to be used to be a Sunday school teacher. From there it was, okay, Lord, uh, or Larry, I want you to do a little bit more. Okay, I'm going, I'm going, Lord. I finally got this Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost in my mind when the Lord gave me 1 Corinthians 15, 34, awake to righteousness and sin not for some 
have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Well, why, why to my shame? He says, you've got an education. You've got a good church. You've got a, an America, a U.S. passport. You can travel almost any place in the world. Uh, the, the opportunities are almost endless. Awake to righteousness and sin not for some have not the knowledge of God. We'll never reach them all, but a missions conference is for us to lift up our eyes and say, okay, what else? What more can I do? Am I, pray, am I really praying for the missionaries? We told them we pray for them when we said, we're going to take you on for support and we will pray for you. How's your prayer for your missionaries that you already support? Lord, I, 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 we've given about all that we can give. Cheryl and I just had this conversation. We've given, the key word was about all we can give. Okay, can I do just a little bit more? If we don't do a little bit more, nobody else is going to get added to the mission family. Nobody else is going to get sent out or supported from the church here. Can I do just a little bit more? When I finally got really serious about it, Lord, okay, I'm going to tell you what I'm doing. You, you, I had a desire to be a Sunday school teacher. I've had a desire to learn how to print, to run a printing press, to be able to produce the Word of God. Lord, is there more that you want me to do? And if there is, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start heading for the uttermost, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost, where Christ has never been named. I actually took some classes to learn uh, languology and phonology. Fascinating. Any sound you can make come out of your head, whether it be through your mouth, your throat, your nose, there is a way to write it down phonetically. And when, Pastor mentioned it, when uh, uh, this, this couple, this family that's coming, they're, they're providing the first written scriptures, first written language or whatever, uh, absolutely fascinating to be able to do that. So that's where I started. Lord, you can stop me anywhere along the way, but we're, Cheryl and I and the kids, we're headed to the uttermost where Christ has never been named because I don't want the Lutherans or the, or the uh, Church of Christ or Catholics or somebody else to come along and get some form of translation that's not usable when they get all done because they didn't have a good foundation to start with. So Lord, I've got a good foundation. Lord, if you want us to go to a, a tribe or a country that has no written language, Lord, give us the ability to get there and to give it to them in their language, the pure word of God. And so that was our, that was our desire. So when we got stopped at, at right there in Oshkosh, oh, 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 wait, 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 right here. I want you to get involved in the printing ministry. From there, I'm going to get you involved in the couriers ministry and you're going to start taking the gospel and getting it into Russia and the former Soviet Union. It wasn't exactly what I had in mind Lord but you seem to know what you're doing and you seem to know what you're saying so I'm going to follow you in that. Back in 1989 <clears throat> I found myself on a train I had taken a pastor over to meet some of the Ukrainian pastors that we knew over there he was going to try and help them get set up in a Bible institute, Bible college kind of situation. So while he was doing that for a week, I went 
went over to another part of the Ukraine and spent some time with a couple of pastors and with a, uh, a friend of mine that did a lot of translating for me when we'd go out and preach in the villages. And so I had to take a night train back to Kiev to, to, uh, to be able to get back there. The night train is rather interesting in that we've, there's two night trains, one that goes straight through, but there's a second one that's called the milk run because it stops almost at every hamlet and every village, and they will load milk cans on, and they'll, they'll load some of the things that have come from the farm, and the people will be standing out there at 1 o'clock in the morning, and grandma's made some scarves and stuff like that, so they're all out there, so every time the train stops, they're trying to sell you something to be, take along with your journey. Well, while I'm in the, in the train, I, I, we've got a sleeper car that has four bunks in it. So I get in, I take the bottom bunk on this side, and sitting on the bottom bunk on the other side is a mom and her daughter. Mom is about 35, 36 years old. The daughter is about seven. I know a little bit of Russian and a little bit of Ukrainian, so I try to uh, say hello and, and talk to them. I always carried pictures of my wife and our children, and so they always light up. And when you say, we have five children, it's like, whoa, five, whoa. What are you guys, crazy or whatever? Uh, when I tell them now that we have 17 grandkids, they, they just go crazy. But I, I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm trying to carry on this conversation with this lady, and this, uh, this man walks in. Uh, he's, uh, he's also about 28, 29. I think he said he was 28. Comes in, and he's getting ready to get up on the top bunk, and he hears me trying to communicate in broken Ukrainian, broken Russian, and a little bit of English, and he says, may I help you? in a heavy accent. And I said, well, I said, I don't know how much English you understand, but I said, I'm just, I'm trying to get to know these people. And so we, we've shared, a, a, I brought a, I had a couple of bottles of Coke with me and a sandwich, and so we're just sitting there, and he's helping me translate. And so finally, mom and her daughter says, okay, we, we're very tired, we need to go to sleep. And so I turned to him and I said, excuse me, my name is Larry, and I'm from uh, from the United States, I said, near Chicago. They have, who's ever heard of Oshkosh, you know? Uh, New York, Chicago, and San Francisco, they, they know those places. And he says his name, and he says, I'm from Afghanistan. Afghanistan? I said, how, how did you learn English? He says, well, we've had some military men living in our village, and he says, uh, they have been, they, they change around, but he says that we've had people living in our village or near our village for the last 10 years. So my mom said it would be a good idea that if I go down and make friends with them, that maybe they'll be kind to us. So he says through getting to know them, and it was our soldiers, he says, I've learned to speak some English. And so I got to talking to him, and uh, just before we went to lay down, I said, uh, can I ask you a personal question? It's very impolite in the stand countries. When I say stand countries, you know what I'm talking about, Kazakhstan and Afghanistan. and those. It's very impolite to just ask somebody a very personal question. You really, you know, you don't say, how old are you? I mean, they'd be offended. You, you have to be very careful. And so I said, can I ask you a personal question? And he said, I, I think so. I said, do you know who Jesus Christ is? He said, who? I said, Jesus Christ. He said, I, I know he doesn't live in my village. He said, I, I don't think he lives anywhere near us. That night, in a train car, 
1.30 in the morning in the country of Ukraine in the middle of the night, I found myself in the uttermost where Christ had never been named. I had a chance to be able to talk to him for several minutes. I gave him a track. We laid down. I saw him reading the track. We got into the city of Kiev. Train started slowing down. We all got up, got our things together. And he says, I, I must talk to you some more. So he actually walked me from the train station uh, about three quarters of a mile to my hotel. And he continued to ask me questions about the Bible, about the New Testament, and about Jesus Christ. I don't know if the man ever got saved or not. But if you have a desire to do a little bit more, to get the gospel where Christ has not been preached or not known, and you never know the opportunities where they arise. How does that fit with us here tonight? We have people that are living in our towns and our cities that probably have never been to a church of any kind. Oh, Larry, that's crazy. No, it's not. Just start talking. If you ask them where they go to church. In the last four years, actually, we could probably narrow it down to the last two years, our country has been inundated with a whole bunch of people from Afghanistan, Iran, and Iraq. Hundreds of thousands of them have flowed over the border down south coming from several South American countries that are in our country today. If you have any here, around here, I, I don't know. They're starting to show up in Oshkosh. We actually have a mosque today in Oshkosh, a, a city of 80,000 people. You never know when you say, Lord, I will do a little bit more. That may mean grabbing a tract, having a tract available, talking to somebody, inviting them to church. Uh, I dare I say it, giving a little bit more money to missions so that we might be able to add somebody else to the missions family. Lord, what would you have me to do to reach the regions beyond where Christ has never been named so that people like Paul or the Diaz's can go and preach the gospel to those who don't know who Jesus Christ is? That's what missions conferences are. 